Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The other one I found out is, you know those robot vacuum cleaners? Sure. When you've agreed to the terms and conditions, they're mapping your house and then selling the map of your house. That starts to make me go again, hold on. They now know the layout of my entire house. I have some worry about this and have taken, like there's some technology that I've chosen not to engage with because I do have exactly those concerns. The one that disappointed me, and I use the word advisedly, was the BBC, to be honest. And then it made me start thinking, actually, that sort of goes against the brand. So, Ryan, you know that I'm learning to play the guitar. I've heard this, yes. Well, you've heard it verbally, heard but you it. haven't heard the sounds, have you? I've heard of it. I have not heard <laughs> it. <laughs> when I've been learning to play this guitar, Pink Floyd is my favorite group. Okay, mm, Very good. And I feel like I'm a rock star. It's absolutely wonderful. I have no doubt you sound just like them. <laughs> I have no doubt I sound nothing like them. <laughs> But the interesting bit here is that I really enjoy playing the guitar when I'm by myself or with my good lady wife. But we've had a few friends round for barbecues and stuff like that. And people have said, oh, Colin, get your guitar out. Let's, you know, let's hear what you do. And I go, no, not doing that. Definitely not playing in front of anybody. Never. It's one of my, one of my sort of things of going, no, I'm not going to, definitely not going to do that. I know that you told the stories to take us in the direction of privacy, which is our topic for today. Yeah. But it also we could also change course now and talk about public health and safety as a result <laughs> of your guitar playing or public nuisance laws. I mean, there's a lot of directions we could take this. I just have to tell you, mate, that I've just ordered an electric guitar. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm now looking into amps. And that's, I'm now worried yeah. about how close I am to my neighbors. That's, that's what... Um, public policy people would call an escalation. <laughs> well, I've never liked the neighbours anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things that we do in private that we would not necessarily want other people to observe. Sometimes guitar playing being among those things. So today we thought we were going to talk about privacy. The shocking thing is, the more that I've looked into this subject to sort of doing my due diligence before we did the podcast, the more it's worried me. <laughs> yeah. There's not a good lot of good news on the privacy front. No. It is really quite surprising, A, what is known about you as an individual, and B, the lack of understanding about what is known. So the, I think the interesting sort of dichotomy here is, 
our regular listeners will know that we love to have data on our customers. We talk about sort of profiling customers and getting all this data and customer science. And and if you haven't heard about that, we did a podcast on that a little while ago, pulling all that together. So it's great from a business perspective, but when you look at it from a, well, hold on, how are they gathering all this information? How much information are they gathering? It's actually quite concerning in my view. It absolutely is, yeah. So let me ask you a question. Before we go into some examples, because I also hope that some people listening to this uh, will now go away and change some of their privacy settings, because um, that's certainly what I've done as I've looked into this. What's happening from a psychology perspective? Why do human beings want privacy in the first place? Why is it we you know, have two like personas? So I'm happy to play my guitar in the house, but I won't play it in public. And you know, there are things that I would do and say in the house, in private, but I wouldn't say them in public. Sure. I mean, there are a couple of different kind of theoretical frameworks we can use to talk about privacy. On some level, privacy is going to be universal for people, needs for privacy, desire for privacy. Now, that'll obviously change across people. So some people have a much higher baseline need for being private than others. But we all have a kind of an internal self and then an external self, sometimes Psychologists and others will talk about the different faces that we put on for people. So you act differently when you are around a client than you would when you're around your buddies at the pub. In some sense, that's another form of privacy or of protecting information about yourself. It's a little bit less straightforward and obvious uh, than some of these other privacy examples we talk about. But so we all have this need to a greater or lesser extent. Psychologists have measured it counterintuitively. They've called it self-monitoring, which is really about whether you care what other people think about you. So right. If you're a high self-monitor, that means you're constantly worried about what other people think of you, which is the least intuitive way of labeling that idea. That surprises me for academia, mate. Yeah, it, it took me several years into grad school <laughs> before I realized that I had those terms backwards because it was just not a very intuitive way of thinking. About it. But yeah, so we, we all want to protect at least some parts of ourselves. And at least in some situations, and for some people, it's extremely important. And for others, uh, it's less so. I mean, I, I know that there's generational change on this, that people who grew up with digital social media and, and with, you know, always having a device in their hands have different levels of need. I think that it's not accurate to say that younger people don't care about privacy at all. I don't, I think that they care about privacy in different ways and are actually much more protective of certain aspects of their privacy than older generations are because they've never had to worry about it in the same way. I can totally buy into the, the you know, that there are degrees of privacy and different people wanting different privacy. It's interesting. I, I was watching a TED talk, and we'll put this link in the show notes, by a guy called Glenn Greenwald. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a really good talk on privacy. And he's the, he's the journalist who, among other things, broke the Edward Snowden story. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things he was talking about was, so if I said to you, could you tell us your bank account number and your password for your ATM cards and or, you know, for access an ATM and do you shred documents and could you reveal to us all of your personal details? I'm sure everybody listening would turn around and go, don't be stupid. That's obviously privacy. What we are doing as well at the same time is we're giving organizations 
a great amount of information in exchange for the use of their products. So this goes back to the famous saying, and we did again a podcast on this some time ago, which is if you're not paying for it, then then you are the product. Someone else is paying for you. (laughs) Yeah. It struck me again that we use Alexa at home a lot which are obviously, and and Siri and various different, Google, in fact, we've got as well. The interesting bit for me is, you know, we're talking in front of that and it's clearly collecting information because it must be to be able to pick it up. But I'm not that worried about that, but maybe I should be. See, and whereas I, I don't consider myself to be particularly paranoid, on the other hand, we have none of those devices in my house. And that was a decision that, I made because I'm I'm not comfortable with that. Now I do have a smartphone, and sure. Um, we've all had the experience of searching something or or even just speaking with someone, and then start seeing ads for that thing. You know, some of that is is a psychological phenomenon where when an idea is salient, is active for us, we start to notice it more. So some of it is just coincidence. I can't convince people though that it always is coincidence because it's just, it happens too often to too many people. I have some worry about this and have taken, like there's some technology that I've chosen not to engage with because I do have exactly those concerns. Now, am I like spilling state secrets in my living room that I need to worry about whether Amazon's collecting audio recordings of what's going on? No, I'm the most boring person in the world. (laughs) Let me let me tell the audience that I do agree with you on that point, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the punishment for anyone who were to hack my webcam so they could watch me while I work. Like the punishment is that they would then have to watch me work. Like, I can just imagine them, them starting to say, okay, right, we, we're going to need to invent some type of torture. You listen to Ryan at home. <laughs> I, I could get sued by whoever hacked me. <laughs> hey, if, if they hack into your device, Alexa's now got hours and hours of your guitar playing. So I think that's... I know. Uh, and they're going to do that in years to come, mate. In years to come, they're going to go, we managed to find some recordings of Colin playing the guitar and they're going to be worth millions. Do you know that? Millions. Millions to avoid listening to. I can buy that. <laughs> Let's get back to the technology bit, because one of the things that set me off down this track was, and we have to mention them, don't we, Apple, and the new, what do they call it? They call it the app tracking transparency, which is this new feature they've got, which basically stops apps from harvesting all the data that they have on you. And this has come out, and again, we'll put put a link in the show notes, there's a TechCrunch article that's, that's interesting about this. And effectively, when you download the latest software, I think it's 14.5 or 14.6, you basically get the option to allow apps to track you or not. And there's been obviously a big battle between Apple and, and, and Facebook on this. And it's really interesting because I downloaded it and I started playing about with it. And you can do the settings so you can get the apps to request to use your data and track you. Yes. And I put, turned that on just to see what it was like, okay? And so far, I've had six apps that have 
been clearly tracking me prior to this that I wasn't aware of. And they're tracking lots of my activity, not just on their app, but elsewhere on uh, on the web. And those companies where those apps are Walgreens, because it's interesting. And the reason I'm mentioning these, because some of these are interesting, and I think, again, go into this debate. So Walgreens, Marriott, there's a couple of sports apps that I use. One's called Live Score, which is what we get live football results on. This is the one that surprised me, the BBC News hmm. and BBC Sport. And the other one was uh, EFL, which is the uh, English Football League. So a couple of things for me for that. One was it was interesting to me that Marriott were tracking me, but Hilton weren't. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why one hotel chain is doing it and another one wasn't. The one that disappointed me, and I use the word advisedly, was the BBC, to be honest. And then it made me start thinking, actually, that sort of goes against the brand that I would consider to be the brand of the BBC. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, well, my reaction even before those is surprise at the breadth of, even within just those six apps, the breadth of types of services that would want to track you. Yes. That's a little disturbing for a lot of us. Um, that, that The idea that they had apparently been doing that for years before Apple forced them to disclose it. So here's another one. I have an app called Music Notes, okay, which is basically where you can buy sheet music for, um, for songs, obviously. They're tracking me. Mm. And you go, what in the hell would a music sheet store want tracking me? I can understand it from a, if I looked at some of the commonality here, live sport, BBC sport, the EFL, you can understand some of that in the sense of going, okay, well, it's a free product again. It obviously costs money to produce the app and therefore they've got to pay for it in some way. It did surprise me. And the other one that surprised me was Walgreens was because, again, I just think, well, yeah, but you're meant to be pharmaceutical and that feels like it's more privacy conscious. Let me be very clear. I'm not saying they're sharing my information right. about my health and what drugs I'm on and whatever else that I've, that I've got from a health perspective, but it does sort of start to bleed over to that. You asked for some of the psychology behind privacy. I I think a, a related and maybe more important and interesting question for this discussion is what makes you feel safe? And knowing that these apps are tracking you, I mean, they may have a perfectly valid business reason for doing that. Maybe knowing where their app users are will help them know where to better locate future store openings, for example. But does it make you feel safe? Does it make you trust the brand more knowing that they're tracking you and that they also have access to sensitive information about your household, like what medications you're you're using? Yeah. I suspect that would make people feel very uncomfortable. The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. Yeah, the other one that I didn't mention is Twitter. I thought to myself, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can imagine Twitter doing that actually. And I don't use Facebook. I'd stopped using that years ago because I wouldn't trust Facebook as far as I can throw them basically. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting again, from that sort of brand perspective, because with something like, the live score, the the sports ones, you go, yeah, okay, I can maybe understand that and justify that. And it's part of that because you you kind of don't trust like brand, like trust or I don't know, sincerity is just not highly associated with the brand in your mind. And so, well, no, I think it's again when I'm watching a couple of these videos on this, you, you talk about say an Alexa, okay, and you buy this Alexa and it costs. something like that, $40, $50, maybe cheaper. But you then go, okay, well, that's for the box. I use a lot of services off that box. I turn my lights on on off in the house. I won't list the whole bloody thing, but, you know, there's a lot of things that I use. The point being, those are all services that I use, that I have been developed, that I have had to cost the company to develop those services I'm not paying for them. So for you, it's more a matter of just kind of economic transaction. Like you understand the value you're getting out of this. You understand you're not paying a monthly subscription fee for it. And so that data collection has been kind of a, a fair part of that transaction. Yeah. And and I guess for me, and, and, I'm, and I'm conscious that this is sort of a, only my view, and I'm sure there are lots of other views, and it'd be great to hear from listeners about this because I think this is a fascinating topic. Absolutely. I think the issue for me is, I didn't know, or I hadn't thought about it. I'd heard the phrase and used the phrase, if you're not buying something, then you're the product, okay? And I know that. But then when you start to realize how widespread it is and how much data it is, some of these apps, I would be happy to go, fine, okay, well, if you're saying to me, give me a button that says, either I have to buy a subscription or you can have my data, you know, give me a button that says that. That approach would, would kind of be similar to YouTube, where you can get like YouTube premium, where you don't have to watch any ads, or Spotify premium, where you don't have to listen to any ads. Or in exchange for the service, you have to listen to advertisements every once in a while. This would be kind of equivalent, where it's like you could get the premium version, where we won't collect any data. Or you can get the free version, where you, in exchange, you get a little bit of, of data from, from you. But that would be much more transparent than the world we're living in now. But I think at the end of the day, if you're using YouTube now, they're already collecting the information on you, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You would then buy it, and I'm sure that they'd carry on collecting the same information. Yes, yes. The the advertising thing was meant to be a parallel, not intended to suggest that these firms are not also collecting your data while they're showing you ads. I think you're right. They're doing that too. Yeah, and, and maybe it's actually in the in the Apple word of, you know, the app tracking transparency. It's the transparency bit that I think is is missing. And that's not to say that I wouldn't carry on using some of these apps. For me, it's been the surprise in not realizing that music notes, where I buy sheet music from, are looking at everything I go across, you know, all the different sites. And well, the bloody hell, they need that. That raises an interesting question as to why these firms are doing this. And my assumption is um, there are some firms who collect this data. So like say tracking data. So they know geographically where you are and where you go in rough terms. 
there are firms who can actually use that and and use it for important decision making. You know, we mentioned maybe Walgreens figuring out where would be a nice place to open a new store because they've got a lot of customers sure. who live and work in an area that don't have access to a store. I suspect though that most of the time for most companies, this data is being collected because it's essentially free to the company. So when you're developing your app, you go through the Apple store or the, or the Google store, those frameworks will just give the app developer the option to access a bunch of extra data. And I assume that all it is is the app developer just including a few extra lines of code or, or flipping a few switches when they when they post the app online. And there's no reason for them not to collect it. So I would be very surprised if Music Notes does anything with that data but they could at some point. So why not collect it now just to see? And it's probably just sitting in a data warehouse somewhere and not being used. So I assume that a lot of this is not actually very strategic on the part of the companies. It's more like, a, well, it's free. We might as well do it. Yeah, and I think the reverse would be true as well. In some apps, it's going to be the strategic part is we'll give them something they want because we collect. We want to collect the data. And yeah, the data that's absolutely is more va- true. More valuable than if we got them to sign up for this product. I find it amazing that Mark Zuckerberg talks about the fact and famously said that privacy is no longer a social norm. And then he buys a $30 million house and he buys all the houses around him so nobody could see into it, into his house. Yeah, there, there is a level of hypocrisy with <laughs> some of this that's not great. And the other one I found out, you can tell like, this has really bugged me, you don't, can't you? The other one I found out is, you know, those robot vacuum cleaners? Sure. They map your house. Uh-huh. When you've agreed to the terms and conditions, they're mapping your house and then selling the map of your house. Okay, now now just think about that, because that starts to make me go again, hold on. They now know the layout of my entire house, assuming that I took it everywhere. Because they've got this robot, it's actually mapped the interior of my house. Am I comfortable with letting that information go? And, you know, did I really know in the 27 pages of terms and conditions that nobody ever reads that that's what they were going to do? How many people, if they said that at the beginning when they bought the thing, how many people would say, yeah, that's fine? We talk a lot here about emotions and stuff like that and trust being one of the cores. I guess that's the issue for me when I think about it. It, It's just going back to, it feels like it's a break of the trust that I've given some of these organizations. And I don't want to get it out of hand. I'm not really upset about this at all, but it disappoints me. And that's a good word to use. It disappoints me that the BBC have had that app running and it was only through Apple's intervention that it's been brought to my attention that they're doing this. And when I said that this data collection is free for the companies, that they, some of them at least are collecting it just because why not? Why, why shouldn't we? Among the ways that it's free is also the fact that it hasn't been disclosed. So if you were to collect this data and let people know that would impose a cost on you as a business because some people are going to choose not to use the app who otherwise would. Some people are going to get upset about it who otherwise wouldn't be upset. It could damage your brand in some way that otherwise wouldn't be. All of those are additional ways that this is essentially kind of free for the business. So I think that's 
part of the reason why what Apple did was so powerful and part of the reason why they're getting pushback from certain businesses, people can still opt in to let apps track their information. But the fact that they now have to disclose that is essentially imposing kind of a brand or a reputational cost on the firms that are doing it. They obviously don't like that. It was something that was free and now they're having to pay for it, at least in some abstract way. They're not happy that they're losing that. When it comes down to it, the issue for me is choice. If I'm given the choice, I can pay for this and this is the cost of the service or I can give my data free, then I make a choice. I used to use Facebook. I no longer do. Why? Because of this very reason. I felt like it was too intrusive. It was one of the reasons. Another reason was to do with some of my friends in inverted commas views on life yeah uh, but that's that's another story <laughs> some things you don't want to know about your friends and their opinions yeah. sometimes i wish there was a bit more privacy <laughs> the last kind of major issue i'll i'll raise around this is to you know we've mostly been talking about it from the consumer side and and how do you feel knowing that your data is being shared or being tracked and you know what does that mean for you with regards to your relationship to the brand i'll also encourage those of us or those listeners of ours who are in the position to make decisions about this for their companies to consider there's an idea in economics called the tragedy of the commons and it it talks about this this idea that when there's this kind of shared or common resource it's very difficult to rely on people to police it effectively themselves. So uh, essentially everybody overuses this common resource until the, the point that it's ruined. And there are parallels in business. So I don't know if you remember several years ago, telemarketing got off the ground and it turned out to be very effective in some situations. So you could call people at home and pitch them on some product or some service and you'd get some percentage that would say yes. And so it became very lucrative. Now, that was fine. Everybody was able to get in on this. All these companies decided to start calling potential customers directly. From the perspective of the individual firm, they were just doing what made sense for them. They were going to turn a profit. They were going to make some money, make some sales doing this. But from the customer standpoint, I remember there were periods of time in the late 90s. I can't remember when they passed the laws to stop this. We would be getting dozens of phone calls a day often disrupting your dinner time or waking your kids up from a nap. And it just destroyed this marketplace because it it was overused and it became so annoying that eventually in the US, Congress stepped in and passed laws and said, you know, there's this do not call list and there's these huge fines if you you violate the, the protocols. That's where I see us going with information tracking and transparency. If a few firms were kind of tracking us in very reasonable ways and people kind of generally felt like they were getting something out of it, I don't think there'd be a problem. The reason that this is a problem is A, because it's secretive and people don't realize they're being tracked. B, because too many firms are doing it and are being too invasive about it. Eventually, it's going to get to the point where laws will be passed and regulations will kind of tamp this down. And what was this gold mine of information for marketers and businesses is essentially going to be throttled in some major way is my prediction because businesses can't be relied on to regulate themselves in this way 
I agree with you. And I think the other thing that's going to happen is that there clearly is opportunity for organisations out there to start to compete against the, these companies and adopting good privacy rules. So, for instance, instead of using WhatsApp, there's a, a, an app called Signal that people use. DuckDuckGo is a search, is a browser and a search engine. I hadn't heard of that until I started to look into this. I now use DuckDuckGo. I've stopped using Chrome and I've stopped using those as browsers. And then I now use the DuckDuckGo as the, my major search engine. Brave is a browser that is built on the same kind of ethos where they, they don't track things and don't share things. And I, I agree with you. I think that's a major competitive advantage for these firms to target customers who care about this stuff. And increasingly, I think that segment will grow. Let's take a step back again and let's do our usual bit of, so what? What's the recommendation? What would we do? Because I am aware of a bit of duplicity here, which is on one hand, we talk about segmentation. We talk about gathering the data from customers and then putting them into various different uh, segments of the market. And so on one side of it, I see us saying that. On the other side of it, I'm certainly coming from the sense of, or from the place of, you actually have to tell customers what you are doing and what you information you are gathering. And in my view, my, my bit of advice would be you give them a choice. But the key thing here is to set the expectation and let people know what you're doing and give them a choice. I would suggest invariably people would choose to give the data because it's not going to cost anything. Giving the customers a choice is the main thing. But I am aware that on one side we say do this and on the other side we're saying, well, I'm not sure about how that data is collected. I mean, it's an important point and I'm glad you raised it. I don't think it's as inconsistent as some might think that it is. If you're dating someone and you want to know you want to give them a gift that would really make them happy. You know, you could ask them about what they like, or you could break into their apartment when they're not there and <laughs> gather some data on what they like. Those, like are that. <laughs> those are clearly very different approaches to getting the information that would help you serve them better. Are you implying that the second one is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> My lawyer who I have with me at all of these recordings <laughs> is indicating I should not answer that question for you, Colin. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good example, actually. Any other recommendations to you or are we done? I mean, forward-looking businesses should start thinking very seriously about privacy. I think the days of the Wild West and grab up whatever data you can on customers is going to be coming to an end at some point. And the earlier you can get ahead of this, the better off. So for example, if your business model relies on collecting lots and lots of data from customers, what's going to happen when you have to start disclosing that? Because at some point you will. And yeah. if there's going to be a major blowback because of it, well, you better plan around that. Uh, maybe start easing customers into this idea early. If you're collecting lots of data and you don't need to, maybe stop because there might be a public relations costs to that. Realize that data that you collect becomes a liability, if not legally, then at least in terms of your brand reputation, if that information ever gets stolen or hacked, right? I mean, Marriott's been hacked before. And so what happens if 
now the Marriott app data is hacked. And not only are they able to get credit card information, but also location information for millions of people. That's not good. So yeah, plan around this stuff. Uh, Recognize that what's good for you as a company might be bad for the marketplace as a whole, and certainly might be bad for your customers. I just remembered one that I, I, when I was doing my due diligence and looking into this, th- this guy was talking about the fact that th- this is a story he was relating. Okay. And he was basically saying that this, this guy had was worried about his wife having an affair because they have some type of joint account and uh, whatever with a, with a mobile phone. He was able to find out where she was at two o'clock in the morning and, and sort of access her phone. But she also wore a Fitbit. And he was also able to find that at 2.30 in the morning for half an hour, her heart rate was at 127 <laughs> beats per minute. <laughs> uh, Can you imagine it? Yeah. So, yeah, it only goes to show that you have to be careful with, with the data. But and, and as we do go into over the next few years, rightly so in my view, using health data on your phone it is really good. But again... Is that the type of information that you want to have uh, dotted around the place? In fact, I'd, I'd say certainly Walgreens, Marriott, BBC, Twitter. You know, I would turn around and say, yeah, they're trustworthy organizations in the main. There is bound to be some organizations out there that are not as trustworthy and will use the data incorrectly. I look forward to Colin's next book, which will be about using technology to cover up extramarital affairs that you're having. It's going to be an advice <laughs> piece. It's going to have lots of great advice. Uh, yeah. Leave your Fitbit at home. Leave your, Don't wear your Fitbit. That's right. If you're going to be an adulterer, don't wear a Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> or your Apple Watch, I suppose. But there you go. Good. Okay, everybody. Thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.